0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Keegan Carey, who works as an organizational ombuds. Keegan has a master's degree in conflict and dispute resolution. Her passion for her work as an organizational ombuds stems from her background in education. Educators provide students with the knowledge, tools, and skills to problem-solve and navigate the demands of a classroom environment and life. As an ombuds, Keegan works with individuals to talk through their concerns and strategize possible options to address them with the goal of helping that individual feel confident in the plan they have identified for moving forward. Outside of work, Keegan likes to embroider, run, hike, and play soccer. Good morning, Keegan, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Good morning, Mary. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk with you this morning. Me too. And it's so fun that we ended up meeting each other over our love of the Ombuds organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was great to connect with you the other month. Absolutely.
0: Well, let's begin. Like, I like to start this podcast and talk about your work experience. Can you tell us about the first job you ever had?
1: Yeah. Well, the first job I ever had, I was a hostess in a family owned restaurant in my hometown. So it was a unique experience. And and I've kind of stayed connected with the service industry over the years since I landed that first job. And it's something that I always appreciate, whether I'm just kind of going into a restaurant and I have a great server that knows their stuff, or, you know, I walk into a restaurant or a coffee shop, and I see a teenager behind the counter at the hostess stand and like, think, oh wow, that's great that they're they're uh you know doing their first job and kind of getting into the world of work. What was that like? What was your
0: first job like for you was um what did you learn or what did you experience that you didn't expect?
1: Yeah, um, I would say uh, angry customers was the one thing I didn't expect when my sixteen year old self was Um, trying to manage a large crowd in the waiting room and delayed wait times. If we might've said it was a 30 minute wait and it was closer to 45 kind of managing those expectations and mitigating tensions, I would say, because it's very easy to just kind of take it out on the person that's in front of you. Whereas I, as a hostess, I became aware of what happens behind the scenes, how long, It takes to kind of clear out tables and the timeline and the expectation for somebody that like a a four top, as we would call it in the restaurant industry, is a family of four, a group of four going to sit down and eat. And I learned about the timeline for that, what to expect and being able to then relay that to a hungry customer that's angry at me because I'm kind of the face for the front of the house. Um, So I learned conflict management kind of early on in my career, I'd say. but it was also very surprising when I was faced with that conflict because I also felt like I wasn't the person for the job.
0: <laughs> well I mean, oh my goodness, what a huge ask of a 16 year old, really almost anybody, a 60 year old managing hungry people and you know those there are these old snicker commercials where, People are misbehaving and they're like, you know, these celebrities and they're misbehaving because they're hungry and they get a Snickers and then they return to themselves. I mean, that's biology in some sense, the blood sugar spikes or drops. And then people aren't always themselves when they're hungry. And who is put in charge with usually the person being, you know, paid minimum wage to manage high emotions and expectations when people wanted to eat maybe a half hour ago, and they're still waiting in line.
1: Yeah, that is. Yeah, it's tough. And then full service on top of that. So (laughs) lots of balls in the air to juggle. (laughs) Absolutely. My goodness
0: gracious. I, You know, most people say everyone should work in the service industry in order to, as you said, understand, right? If you've never worked food or you've never worked retail and you are inconvenienced, you... Sometimes as the consumer think it's all about me and my inconvenience. But if you as you said, you know the back room, you know the rest of the story. It's not about the customer. Everybody wants to serve the customer and have the customer have a good experience. But sometimes it's because of somebody didn't show up for work or the food truck is late or 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 mm-hmm. the experience that the customer has is not always what the management or the owners want.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I found that what helped me not only as a hostess, but when I continued in the service industry and became a waitress or a server was being transparent with what's going on Mm -hmm. and appreciating the guests that you have at your table or who decided to eat at the restaurant and walk in the door, you know, thanks for your patience and waiting on me. The kitchen is a little backed up and that really helps when it comes to the relationship that you have with the family at your table, because instead of them thinking that you're the problem, it gives a tiny, tiny sliver that you're doing what you can, what's in your control as a server, but there's other things that might be out of your control. And that's something to think about when it comes to all relationships and all conflicts, right? Um, We can only manage what is in our control and sharing, you know, the efforts that you're putting in to meet the needs of the other person.
0: I love that so much. Oh, my goodness. Who would have thought we'd found all these parallels um, (laughs) serving food? Yeah, but but you're so right. I think about, you know, when we think about the customer service relationship and uh, how we treat the customer, but sometimes we don't think about humanizing. The person across from us whether it's the person coming in to be served or the server but when we make those human connections and be transparent and say hey you know i'm sorry this is happening or i want to let you know this is what's going on and i'm aware and do you have any questions but that little bit of knowledge in almost every instance It's that lack of knowing, it's that lack of communication that we end up spinning our own scenarios, like we've been forgotten, they don't care about us, they don't value us, they don't value me, but to always see the person in front of you, no matter if you're in a very professional situation or you are working at the local big box store, it doesn't matter where you work, we should always be seeing the person in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So where did you move on from uh being a server? Well, I was in the service industry for quite some time as I worked my way through undergrad. And I also did a little bit of side gigs or side hustles, I think as they're called to called now, um did a little bit of dog walking, babysitting, and then after graduation, You know, I also threw in some volunteering in there. I I was really trying to get to be a part of the community. I did some volunteer little kids soccer coaching (laughs) for five and six-year-olds, which is great because at the time I was really passionate about going into education. I wanted to be a high school history teacher after my eighth grade teacher inspired me to kind of follow in her footsteps so i was really trying to get involved with kids whether it's through education or recreational sports things along those lines but after i graduated i realized you know it my passion wasn't necessarily the art of teaching or when you think of it in a coaching perspective the art of coaching a skill right like playing soccer and kicking a soccer ball instead it was more about the passion that i had to build relationships with those people, so I started thinking about you know what's next, and my background in education and my interest in the nonprofit world kind of led me to pursuing um, a, the Peace Corps as a English teacher and teacher trainer. So I lived and worked in a rural um, secondary school in Cambodia for two years. That's where I think my passion for working with others really came out. Um, thinking about my understanding of the classroom in the context of my home state and what I learned about inequities in the classroom and how those similar inequities are common across the globe in public education and thinking about the barriers individuals face when you know advancing their careers, advancing their education. And that really led me to conflict resolution in the sense of how that applies to organizations and the systems and resources that are in place to help individuals in that community succeed but what's not available Hmm. where are there gaps potentially and what are some of those kind of interpersonal skill building communication skills conflict management skills things along those lines that can help people feel more confident in all aspects of their professional or personal lives even so that's what led me to organizational ombuds work. And I think that's a long answer to your question of what ha- what I did next. But I'm currently an organizational ombuds. And I would describe, you know, where I am in my professional career as early career. I, I think I explained to you when we talked before that I like to describe that I did a career switch or a transition before I even started my first one. (laughs) How did you find out about being an organizational ombuds? Yeah, it was through my master's program. It was a really great program where it provided an overview of all these different fields that you could go into with the foundational knowledge of what conflict resolution is and what it looks like in different spaces. So, at the same time that I was being introduced to organizational ombuds, I was fortunate that that university um, had an established ombuds program at the time. And at the same time I was learning about organizational ombuds, I was first introduced to restorative justice. It wasn't a service that was often discussed where I grew up in kind of the, the sector that I was. I had tunnel vision on going into, if that makes sense. So not only did I learn more about mediation and what facilitation is in all these different spaces, but I was introduced to two completely different fields of restorative justice and organizational ombuds work. And having that program kind of be a funnel into building networks and connections and and just really learning at a cell like self-paced and having the resources within that program really helped me learn and understand what it is that organizational ombuds do and help me identify that like yes when i graduate my goal is to land a job as an ombuds
0: <laughs> that that's wonderful i love restorative justice work and what it can mean for individuals in organizations and the workplace. Some of our listeners may not be so familiar with restorative justice. Can you talk a little bit about what it is and how it practically works
1: in a work environment? I guess I want to say, you know, I'm not an expert on RJ, I know of service level, and it's often an alternative. When people think of traditional restorative justice practices, it's an alternative to often like a legal process. It's helping to kind of re or I guess bridge the relationship between um, the person who has caused harm. So the offender and the person who has experienced harm or the victim in a situation. So oftentimes RJ is something that's associated with incarcerated people and addressing the harm that they've caused to families based on their actions and and behaviors in the past. So that's one example, but RJ is is also something that's in practice and every day. So thinking about just how we communicate is more of an informal way in which RJ can be practiced. So thinking about informal conversation circles around possibly sensitive topics or as a way to create space and provide opportunities to sit in silence when you pass around kind of um, an object that signifies whoever's holding that object is the one that's speaking. So it's helping us or people in a community kind of relearn what it means to communicate and interact with each other and build relationships through dialogue. It's a great explanation.
0: I love restorative justice. And I think it works in the workplace very well because it's future oriented. Mm -hmm. We look at the past, but not to stay stuck in the past. We look at the past and we do, you know, whatever we need to do to restore. But what are we restoring? We're not just, you know, patching it up and moving away. We are restoring so that we can move together into the future.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think when that's that frame of, of working with one another is not practiced, then, you know, when people come in a conflict at work, a lot of times that little tiny thing that happened is just one more thing that they're carrying on their back. And all this stuff has never been dealt with. We don't deal with it and move on. We just move on and we have this accumulation. And some people don't like the word toxic work environment. But one reason I do like that is because. I think, you know, if we think about toxicity levels like in the blood or it it build can build over time. And if you don't have a restorative mindset, then what do you have? Gossiping, holding grudges, holding on to the past, and it takes us off mission in our organizations. And so Ombud's work really does focus on helping people do that restorative work to have their real needs addressed. In an effort to then also move forward.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thinking about repairing or restoring harm. And, you know, I guess to further this is asking, you know, what does harm mean to you? Because how I feel pain or hurt or, um, you know, maybe even distrust, right? In the workplace might be very different in what that looks like compared to how you experience that and how you might be thinking of, oh, well, this doesn't hurt my feelings. But to me, it does. So being able to address the impact and learning how to communicate that, that helps to focus the conversation on the relationship. I love that you brought that up because a lot
0: of times when we think about work, we think it's very transactional, that we are just exchanging information. But that's not what happens when you have a bunch of humans together. We are not simply putting together a business plan or a marketing strategy. We are communicating with one another on a daily basis or in the variety of ways in which we communicate. And when we mistake that, it's simply transactional. And so we're not here to kowtow or care about people's feelings or this that or the other it's you're with people and what does it really mean to treat people with respect i think that is as you were saying is about individuality it's not about expecting the world to experience it the way i do and that's a part of communication oh i didn't find that joke offensive but you did all right what what can i do about that how can we move forward but recognizing it and doing something about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned something else that I thought was interesting. You mentioned volunteer work. Yeah. And sometimes we, we look at ourselves as we were talking about before we started recording on this podcast as identifying with our paid jobs, right? Yeah. I am what I'm getting paid to do. And yet, when we look at our lives and how we are involved in the community, involved in our homes, we preference this paid work. And it's a very sort of odd thing because volunteerism is vitally important for the health of individuals and communities. And yet it's seen as leisure activity, unnecessary activity, and it's not counted socially. You don't get the social capital because there's no capital associated with it I mean people get awards but it's not the same what do you what do you think about that and and how do you think about yourself when it comes
1: to work and titles yeah I think that's a great question um and I think because where I am in my career and I I think I want to preface this as well by saying I think for many people the pandemic and the shift to remote work has taught many people how to reprioritize what their daily life looks like and I would say you know for me when I think about who I am (laughs) I think about myself as I'm lucky to be able to follow a passion of mine and Be in a paid career and position that helps me to build my skills that are in line with my passion. But I also have other passions outside of a professional sphere. And I think those are just as important to who I am and what I bring to the table, whether that's in a social setting or in a professional setting. And I think how we experience life, helps us to acknowledge different perspectives, bring our own perspectives to the table, and find balance in everything that we juggle in our day-to-day. And I don't know if it was another one of your podcasts or if I was reading a book, um, but they were talking about Thinking about what it means to fill your cup and it's not so that other people can drink from it, but so it can overflow and then kind of pass on to those that are in your circle, those that you interact with on a daily basis. And I think how we spend our time, how we support ourselves and find balance, help us contribute to the work that we do in the professional space, as well as in maybe our our own space, our social lives, our volunteer work. So we just want to make sure that we find balance, right? Or I, I should say, I just want to make sure I find balance and I feel like in the spaces that I'm in, my cup is full and I'm able to bring my put my best foot forward in the work that I'm doing. <laughs>
0: I like what you said about overflowing. And so that we can feed into others. One thing that I've heard over and over on this podcast is the importance of mentors and mentorship. And to hear people talk about how others have taken the time to see them, to speak into their lives, and how they have benefited greatly from those experiences. But if those mentors hadn't taken the time to work on themselves and, and be the person that can look outside of themselves, right? When we are fixated on ourself and our problems and everything is about us, typically there's some sort of balance that is off because the world doesn't revolve around us, but we are part of the equation, right? Again, it's finding that balance. It's reciprocal altruism. It's not me versus you or you versus me. It's us together. And if we want to be those mentors for the people around us, because we have benefited from that, then that means that we have to work on ourselves so that we have something to give. And that we're not just one dimensional. I think that's what you were pointing out is that our work benefits from our multifacetedness, from every article that we read, from every experience or that we have in our community, our pub in our private life, the more in a way well rounded we are the way we show up to the paid and non-paid gigs in our life. Mm -hmm. So when you think about your work experiences, what strikes you as the best experience you've ever had, either with an organization or
1: with an individual? And what was so good about it for you? Right now, I'm really thinking about how it felt when I was supported with being introduced to the organizational ombuds field. So I was fortunate to have kind of a self-paced internship as kind of a phase one of learning about the field and really gauging is, is this truly what I'm interested in or is this something that's available at this time? And that's something that I really appreciated. Um, And being able to talk through with a mentor, my supervisor at the time about what their interests are, where their passions come from, any questions that I had about what it is that the ombuds does, right? Because I share that because I felt like when I was pursuing education, I was tunnel vision on wanting to be a teacher and not really exploring those other options out there by learning about what was the best experience um, that my eighth grade teacher had, right? Like, So I I guess I want to share that with, I would say so far in my career, in this space that I'm in now, my first couple jobs in conflict resolution have been the best professional experience of mine so far. I've really worked with my supervisors as thought partners to brainstorm options to contribute to the office really feeling valued in those spaces of, that's a great idea. Let's run with it and see where it goes. But, you know, let's talk. Let's see if this is actually something that's going to work. And a part of me, given my volunteer experience, I try to think about what's going to be sustainable, not just for me, but the community in which we serve. So Sometimes people may feel that they need to do a lot of outreach events, let's say that for an example. But how are those trainings, let's say, catered to those participants that are registering or that target audience? Is this something that is a one-off training that you're able to provide? Or is this something that you think you have the bandwidth to continue pursuing. So I think given the conversations I've had with mentors and supervisors in my most recent experiences in conflict resolution has really helped me think about what's important for me and how I can contribute to the office. And I think that's why so far (laughs) they have been the best work experience. I love that you said thought partner.
0: I mean, oh my word, that that little phrase, thought partner, people talk about belonging. What does it mean to belong? What does it mean to contribute? What does it mean to feel like people care? Well, if you think you're a thought partner, oh my word, you could have been there five minutes or 50 years. But if that's how people treat you as you have something to contribute, how that feels. And as you said, you can contribute from your experience. Because, and that's the beauty of diversity, right? So I might be a person full of ideas, but we also need someone to think about the sustainability of those ideas, right? And whether or not we want to make them sustainable. Sometimes we do want one-offs, but sometimes one-offs can actually do more harm, right? And so to be able to have those, those conversations and have those values, that's that's amazing. I'm gonna have to think more about that. I love thinking about the people you work with. And even if you're the manager, what is your role as a manager, supporter, and we're all thought partners. Oh, that's, that's, that's nice imagery. I like that very much. Yeah. What about a difficult situation? We've all had difficult situations at work. Can you share with us something that was
1: hard and what was hard about it for you and how did you deal with it? Oh, absolutely. And I say that because looking back, I learned so much. And it really wasn't until I was in the conflict resolution space where I started thinking about um, past experiences that maybe felt like a personal attack in the workplace. So I want to go back. You know, I already mentioned I was a server. Um, So this instance kind of to preface, I want to share that coming out of this very brief moment, thinking back, to a younger version of myself, I learned that I was first introduced to what culture in a workplace can look like and how it varies and how the culture of the workplace doesn't necessarily pinpoint the type of personalities of the people that work there. It's more of a reinforced behavior that's normalized And that behavior may may not be the behavior the people have outside of that organization, if that makes sense. So looking back on what I know now, that's what I took away from that. And also I learned that sometimes changed behavior speaks louder than an apology. So I wanna share with you I would say it was probably my first, within my first month of working as a server, completed my training where I shadow another server. I also started, you know, managing my own section, things along those lines, but still brand new, didn't know everything, still asked a lot of questions. And, you know, I ask a lot of questions all the time still. It's just something that's part of my practice and part of who I am. I got into work. I had one table. I think maybe they have ordered food already or drinks. And the manager that I was told can be harsh, but means well, came out of the kitchen with a ticket that had been rung in. And the best way to describe it started yelling at me in the server station. Saying that they had brought the food to the table and it was rung in wrong. Um, And of course, this was many, many years ago. (laughs) So this is a summary. And they started saying the table number. I'm shaking. I feel my eyes watering. And I don't like all these questions are going through my head. Like, am I in the wrong section? Did I just take somebody else's table? all this stuff. And like, I just, I couldn't speak because I was so confused and so caught off guard and embarrassed because I was in front of my colleagues being yelled at where somebody maybe across the restaurant could hear it. And I do have to preface, this is not uncommon in the service industry. That dynamic happens all the time and it's normalized, I must say. So I look at the ticket, that's all I could do. And I look at the name section. And unfortunately, all I could say is point to my name and say, that's not me. But I was so upset and so emotional, I had to run to the bathroom and cry because I was caught completely off guard. But I have to say after that, I don't think I was the only one that felt embarrassed. I think the manager felt bad because I could tell in just how they treated me the rest of my shift, there was empathy there based on their awareness of the impact that they had on me, the fact that they yelled at me for something that wasn't. In my control, (laughs) um, I guess I should say. And I I think this is a unique example because it's not something where I, you know, I dismissed a mistake I made. It was highlighting how, you know, everybody kind of benefits from approaching things with a human centric approach versus a me versus you approach. Um, So I learned about the culture, you know, I actually became really close with this manager, despite this rocky start. And I really appreciated, like, who they were as a person and the time that I spent with them when I worked there. And to reiterate, you know, I, I think that experience, that really challenging and embarrassing experience, taught me that, Actions speak louder than words, both good and bad. Um, and I at the time I wanted an apology, I wanted them to publicly acknowledge that what they did was wrong and hurtful. but at the same time, i I didn't experience this this manager treat somebody else like that later. I didn't experience the same behavior. If anything, I experienced the exact opposite and I felt very supported by this person.
0: This really is an interesting example for a variety of reasons, because I think a lot of times right now we just write people off, you know, cancel them or whatever, one and done. You did this bad thing and I won't tolerate you anymore. And you have to, you have to apologize or you have to do what it is that I want in order to continue or repair this relationship. And Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, depending on maybe what the situation is, but you got to decide, right? You could have left. You could have decided what is it that I really want. You know, will this only be repaired and restored because this person does X, Y, and Z? Or how can I move forward? There's there's so many lessons there. One, if you don't want to be embarrassed as a as, first of all, don't yell at people, don't belittle them. But many times we're wrong. And we get it wrong. And if you want to save face, don't come out guns a blazing, because you might be wrong. And then, of course, it's it's inhuman to treat people that way, humiliate them, belittle them. That's, it is a, I think, a really interesting example. And and I really like how you started it by prefacing that a workplace culture. Sometimes we want to say, in this circumstance, in this place, where this person treats me badly, they're a bad person everywhere, and their mama doesn't like them. Where cultures do build up a kind of tolerance that this is what's tolerated, but maybe they don't act that way any other place, you know? And so I think we need to have larger visions and views of what people are and uh, the impact of what's tolerated in a place for good or for ill. You have high expectations of what it means to be professional and civil. People will rise or they won't be able to take it. Same thing with low expectations, or we expect people to be uncivil and then that's how people behave if they're going to stay.
1: Yeah. And I think for those in kind of the conflict resolution space, we try to teach people to remove the person from the problem. And I think this is what I was able to do. I don't know if it was for self-preservation, I needed the job (laughs) Um, or, or if it was really just like, I saw another side of them, you know, like, Another side of the coin, and I understood that it honestly wasn't personal. It was not that I was the bad person or the type of mistake that was made was deal breaking. You know, I guess, I guess what I'm saying there, the risk was low. <laughs> if anything, we just get them a new dish, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I was able to remove the person from the problem by balancing like what's important here I have four hours at least left like I can make the most of this and just accept something happened I think it's removing the person from the problem is sometimes a way to be able to address yes this happened yes this hurt my feelings but was it there? Really, end goal was was that manager's end goal to hurt me? No, no. The, the manager's goal was to to tell me I I made a mistake and not and and try to get me not to do it again. <laughs> so I think I've also learned that mistakes are how you grow, and sometimes it's a team that makes mistakes, right? Because servers need hosts, need far backs, need. Bussers, and we all work together along with the managers and the chef and the line cooks to make the system work. And if a mistake is made somewhere, acknowledging that a mistake was made and doing what you can to fix it or address it and have a plan for moving forward. Okay, well, this is the completely wrong salad. what are we going to do? Whip up the right salad, right? And and comp that dish. And sometimes, you know, there is a risk, greater risk when a mistake is made, but remaining relationship centric, I think is the goal to help people not only learn from the mistakes they make themselves, but learn from the mistakes or good things, you know, the, the things that people are doing right and get it spot on, hit the nail on the head and learn from each other. What are what are those times in which the goal is met? What happens in those times where the goal is completely missed? And what is it when we fall short of those expectations? How can we learn from it? So, I I I think I learned and grew as a person in those in that 45 seconds <laughs> that uh that interaction was going on and and actually like I Answering this question really helps me to think more fondly on it the more I talk about it, because that's been quite some time. (laughs) And I hope the restaurant is is doing well post-pandemic.
0: Yeah. You know, it it is interesting how those experiences at the time can be so jarring and difficult. And we look back and we think, you know, at the time, of course, we wish they didn't happen. And I don't want anyone to be harassed or mistreated. But we do learn that there can be very clarifying experiences about who we are, how we ought to behave, what we're going to tolerate, how we're going to move forward. And they can a- actually be like these little cornerstones, these little pinpoints in our life that we can go back and yeah. reference. So, you know, we see this behavior, you said, you know, as a server that, and that it's sort of normalized in the industry. But I also talk to professionals who've been bullied, you know, like severely bullied with the mental and physical health ramifications. And so this is a, that kind of behavior of um, embarrassing, ridiculing, yelling at whatever is and not just about one industry. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. What advice do you have for somebody who finds themselves in a circumstance where that's not just a one-off, yeah. but they are in a circumstance and most people are working because they need the money, right? Yeah and they find themselves in these circumstances what what would you what would you tell them to do
1: yeah of course the first thing that i would say is try to find a confidential resource in your organization that is specifically structured to help you navigate informally first thinking about what are some things that you can do to feel comfortable and address the situation. So I say and address the situation is as ombuds, we kind of work to empower individuals to feel comfortable with the plan that they have moving forward to address their concern. And that's for all sorts of concerns, right? And maybe when there's bullying involved, um, using that as as a situation or example, Sometimes that happens when you are interacting with a colleague that you can't avoid. And thinking about those specific instances that might have, you know, that pinpointed, okay, well, this is a situation that I'm thinking about and this is what they said. If I could go back in time, what would make me feel more comfortable? Is this speaking to a supervisor? about the behavior and the tip there is to focus on the behavior versus the, the person and I think that that would be the tip and I, I first share that confidential resource because talking to your work best friend can escalate the conflict because that can also be seen as gossip or contributing to kind of Fueling the fire. So, reaching out, finding a resource that might be outside your department, maybe even speaking with a member in HR if your organization doesn't have an ombuds office. Also, one of those things is you can get advice from people that are in your personal life by asking them, Have you experienced similar behavior in the past? How did you deal with it? And also taking their experience objectively, knowing that you're very different people, you may be very close with this person, but how they handled it may not be how you feel comfortable handling it. So, thinking about all the options and possible ways in determining what's comfortable for you as an early career professional, I want to share for those who might be in a similar boat, weighing the pros and cons, thinking about. Is this something that you want to address and particularly, like, possibly resolve? What energy might that take of you? What impact, good or bad, might that have on you as a person and in your career? Thinking about that. And if you determine it's not worth your time to address having a plan B is also an option that's great advice
0: a lot of the reasons why people don't address conflict at work is because they're afraid of retribution blowback how it's going to negatively impact them and many times we think the only recourse we have available is formal a formal procedure i've got to go to hr or i've got to report this to my boss and it it starts the ball rolling and now it's out of our control
1: mm-hmm.
0: and insofar as we want to empower individuals we do need those confidential, informal, impartial spaces where people can, you know, talk things through. And as you said, what are the pros and cons? Do I really need to address this? And I think in having those conversations, you have addressed it, right? You regain your power. You're not just this passive participant and these things are happening, but you have, you know, worked with somebody and they've come alongside to assist you. Not, as you said, not telling you what to do, but assist you to help brainstorm and figure out what is it that you want to do. And it might be nothing, but you've reframed and you have decided and you have taken control. And you've said, instead of this is all happening to me, I can't do anything. I now am back in a power position where I'm in control of my workspace and I'm deciding
1: what is acceptable
0: and what's not acceptable. I
1: love that. I love everything you said. That was great. I love your summary. <laughs> Oftentimes people forget that inaction is also an option. The range of options are in your control. And if you would prefer not to move forward with addressing a concern, that is very much an option just as maybe pursuing a formal channel yeah, and and tapping into what's going to be comfortable for you. Absolutely. I'm very,
0: I have a mixed mind about mandatory mandatory reporters when it comes to universities and other institutions when uh, a crime has been committed to them, you know, about sexual violence or whatnot. And I think, yeah, we need, we need these, we need people to be reported and protected. And yet, as soon as that person speaks to a mandatory reporter, they don't get to decide anymore. It's been decided for them. And I know different universities have different policies, uh, whether or not the ombuds have to have to be mandatory reporters or different state issues. But I think everybody should be able to decide what it is they want to do, what they want to pursue, instead of the option is, I have to stay silent, because if I speak, part of this power is taken from me. And I, I know it's hard to balance all these things, but I think that's such a an unfortunate consequence of these laws that are meant to be beneficial to the person who's been severely hurt. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I do when working with visitors, thinking about those options is having them think about asking what, you know, if they identify a a mentor that might be able to support them and navigating a particular concern, ask them what their reporting requirements are before you start the conversation. Yeah. So there's clearly that understanding of what could happen next if you share that information. Right.
0: And all mandatory reporters, hopefully, if the visitor doesn't say something or their mentee, that they would say, hey, I Mm -hmm. want to let you know. And, you know, mentors and, and mandatory reporters you don't want to do what's good. And sometimes we don't think about, because it's not on our mind. It didn't just happen to us. Yeah. But I think that that is very, very important. If conflict resolution is about personal empowerment and we don't want to take away power from people who have been hurt um, by whatever, there's all these different ways people get mistreated. We want to really make sure that we protect their individual efficacy and options, protect people's options so that they decide what they want to have happen next. So Keegan, when you look at the future of the world of work, what do you think needs to happen so that we can have uh, not only dignity and respect where everyone is, that's like baseline treated with dignity and respect, but where people can flourish, no matter what kind of profession they're in, what do you think needs to happen in the workplace in general?
1: I think I thought about this question before we logged on this morning And I think kind of what comes to mind now is a little bit different than what I thought of before. But I think the first thing that comes to mind here is encouraging and fostering curiosity, Mm. which helps with kind of building relationships, um, managing tasks, right? Thinking about ways to improve systems, even like, I'm wondering this this is my experience trying to, to log this information. I'm wondering if doing this might help make things a little bit easier, more efficient and being open to curiosity in the sense that also, you know, managing up a little bit brings and having all sides, you know, leadership, entry-level roles, maybe contract workers, Incorporate curiosity into their everyday because that's how we learn from others, how we learn from the world around us. And it also leads to normalize not only asking for help, but asking questions and and not feeling like it's a space of vulnerability in which to be taken advantage of. vulnerability to learn from somebody else and willingness to learn, grow, improve, and feel confident in the work that you're doing. So I think it all stems from curiosity, but I think the best advice I've gotten so far, and I would say it's not even in in the space of professional advice. I got this advice from my parents when I was in middle school. I said, don't be afraid to speak up and ask questions. If you don't know the material, if you're not following, raise your hand and ask. Because they're not going to know that you don't know unless you tell them. And it follows up in that same conversation, I'm sure, because I've heard this a lot And when I was growing up. is No question is a stupid question. Yes, there's different ways that you can frame a question (laughs) to have it land a little bit differently. But asking questions stem from curiosity. And if somebody doesn't understand your question, being curious would open the door for them to ask a clarifying question and connect with you to understand what it is you're trying to learn and what it is that you need.
0: I think that's a fantastic answer. Curiosity, I think, is actually really practical advice. Let's suppose in 10 years, that's like the new, you know, like right now we talk about psychological safety, we'll say five years. In five years, everyone's talking about curiosity. And you put that into practice, I think it would be amazing what would come from that if everybody expected to be curious, like how people would show up and how people would respond to other people's curiosity. That is great. Well, Keegan, thank you so much for your time. I so enjoyed our conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so great to see you again. Well, take care. Have a lovely day.
0: Thank you, Keegan, so much for taking time to be on Conflict Managed and share your experience with us. Conflict Managed is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. I'm very pleased to announce I have a new book coming out August 1st called How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure. How to Be Unprofessional at Work is a lighthearted book about what not to do at work and how to have healthy work environments. In order to get the word out, please like and share this podcast so others too can hear from Keegan and all the other wonderful guests that we've had on the show. Conflict Managed Music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.